We've spent the last several weeks talking about the last seven words of Jesus. And we're going to continue that today, but in review, I wanted to take a look and see what, what we've already covered. And we're looking at basically the beginning all the way through the end of the crucifixion. And we see when we first started, we started in Luke and we talked about forgive them. Is We're talking about Christ realizing that they don't understand what they're doing and he asks forgiveness even as they crucify him. And then the second week we talked about with the with me. We talked about with me. We talked about uh, the thief on the cross. And Jesus says, truly, truly, today you will be with me in paradise. And then we talked a couple of weeks ago about behold your mother. We talked about the transaction between Jesus and his mother and the apostle John. Then last week we talked about forsaken. We talked about uh, this unfathomable thing about God and Jesus being separated. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we see those words of Jesus as he goes through this. He takes on the propitiation for sin. He takes on our transference of sin to him and his righteousness to us, his double imputation, if you will. And today I have a verse that we want to look at, and today's title is simply, I Thirst. So let's take a look at those scripture which starts in John 19. We're going to look in John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all the things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and put it up to his mouth. So we see this as Jesus realizes he's coming to the end. He knows he has to fulfill what God has called him to do. And it's been a long, agonizing day for him. Starting out with um, the lashing uh, then putting his arms on the cross brace and him walking through the streets of what's known as Dea de, uh, de la Rosa now, the way of sorrows, or walking down those aisles as we see that, walking down these narrow shops as he goes to the cross. It's been a long, torturous day for Jesus. And he senses his time is near. You remember earlier we see in the garden is that Jesus asked God to, if there's any other way. But there's no other way. There's another, another way because the perfect Lamb of God who came to die for our sins has to go to the cross. He has to pay the penalty so we can have that great exchange. And so now he seeks for his parched lips to have some type of comfort there. And so he asked for a drink. And so this is an interesting scenario here as we get to this part of the crucifixion. Is you see this soldier come up and you wonder why a soldier would have any regard for someone being cruci crucified. I mean, as far as a soldier's concerned, he's been determined guilty and he's getting his due justice. 
But um, the soldier, for some reason, sees Jesus. And there's a record in the book of Matthew, Matthew 27, 54, it talks about a centurion. And he marvels at the Christ that has come to him because there is no blame towards a soldier. There is no ill words towards a soldier. Soldier, There is no cursing. He doesn't threaten anybody. In this verse, uh, this soldier determines, it says, truly this is the Son of God, is his confession. And we also see in Peter, Peter brings up to us this idea of Jesus having no malice towards his accusers and towards his persecutors and towards his torturers and towards those who crucify him. In 1 Peter 2, 22, it says, He committed no sin. It says, He committed no sin, and neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continue entrusting himself to him, to his judges justly. And verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and life and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. So Peter takes time out in his book to remind us of Jesus on the cross and his crucifixion and his had no ill will towards those who crucified him because Jesus realizes that for him to change the spiritual world that we know is that he has to go to the cross or it is to the cross that Jesus has to go to pay a price that we owe but we're not worthy to pay, but Jesus is worthy to pay. Also in this verse, it talks about in that second verse, I think in verse 29, I'm going back to John 18, 29. Or John 19, sorry. John 19, 29, I do believe. Here we go. This is after he says, I'm thirsty. It says, a jar full of sour wine was standing there so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon the branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. So the reason I bring to you about the soldier part is that the sour wine and the sponge was part of a soldier's kit. You remember earlier is that they offered Jesus some bitter wine at the beginning of the crucifixion. And it was often common to offer those being crucified uh, an intoxicant, uh, a wine in order so it would numb some of the pain. But Jesus refused that because he was taking on the full brunt of God's wrath, because God's wrath was poured out on Christ on our behalf. So Jesus wouldn't have any of the wine at the first part of, the, of his crucifixion. But at the end of the crucifixion, he says, I thirst. And so I mentioned the story about the soldier because it was not common for the soldiers to, to, to maybe show mercy on their convicted felons, if you will. But the sponge was part of the soldier's kit. Sometimes they used it to drink with. Sometimes they used it in their helmet to pad their lining and stuff. And so he puts it into the wine. Uh, this wine vinegar basically is used to help purify the water. If you're drinking putrid water, if you've ever been, um, 
If you ever been, I've been on a long track over in Big Bend where we hike for several days. If you get an opportunity to do that, stop in McGregor and turn around. Uh, <laughs> but we drank some water that uh, not everybody would drink. We put some tablets in there so it wouldn't kill us. It may harm us, but it wouldn't kill us. So the, the vinegar wine was to take water that wasn't necessarily good and put the vinegar wine in there and it helped purify the water, kill the bacteria. And it's what the, it, was a, it was a drink of choice for the soldiers. They knew they were going to be there all day. So my assumption in this part, and this is assumption, is that there was some water there that was for the soldiers. They stuck a sponge in there, and they stuck it on this. Some, some gospels call it a reed or a stick. But John takes the time to tell us that it is a hyssop reed. That is a reed of hyssop here in the 29th verse. So... What's the significance of this? What is the significance of the hyssop branch, and why does John bring it up in his gospel? Well, if we remember, the Passover is that, and uh, I have to confess, I'm, uh, if I ask young kids this, they don't know what I'm talking about, but you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, every Easter in the evening on Channel 10, they used to show the Ten Commandments. So when I think about the Passover, I think about Charlton Heston. So if you'll give me that indulgence there. But the idea here was that the blood that had been sacrificed, that the priest had sacrificed in the tabernacle, or not, not in the tabernacle at that time, but the idea was that you were going to uh, sacrifice some animal and you were going to use that blood and you were going to put it on the lintel in a doorpost into the entrance of your house so that the spirit of death would pass over so the spirit of death would pass over that. So we see that it's almost as Jesus is referred to a door uh, in, in some cases. Uh, he says in John 10, 7, he says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So we are the sheep, and he is our shepherd. We read earlier that, um, that the, the sheep will be said something about the sheep will be, or the shepherd will be, uh, something will happen to the shepherd and the sheep will spread out. So we're named sheep not because we're cute and cuddly. We're named sheep because we're dumb. But we are his sheep and he is our shepherd. But we see here also that Jesus refers to himself as a door. And it's almost like this idea of the hyssop going up to Jesus to parched his lips. It's almost as if we're painting the doorpost of our lintel with the blood of Christ so that the angel of death can pass over us. So we see that as Jesus. I see that imagery here as, as Jesus uh, and that hyssop branch being lifted up is that it's his marking, if you will, into the eternity that this is the way to Christ. And so I also see that here in this, as we see as the... Uh, Sponge is lifted up and the branch is lifted up. That sort of hails back to the day of the Passover, their first Passover, when they posted those blood upon the lintel and the doorpost. As that our entrance into Christ, into the kingdom, into the door of the sheep, he says here, into that door is through Jesus Christ. And we see that again on the cross as we lift that up. So Jesus is the only door to pass from life to life by death. It's as if this branch is held up 
held up to touch the Son of God, to point to the Passover one last time to show the entrance of eternity. For those scriptures, we find three things. There's three things we find in the scriptures that we're studying today. We first thing we find out is we see Christ's humanity. We have this conundrum, and, and even we spend a lot of time when you're studying about that, is that God was completely human and he was completely divine. That no, makes no sense to the natural mind. But here we show that Christ's humanity is that he does have needs. He, has, he gets tired, he gets thirsty, he gets hungry. So Jesus is a Savior that can sympathize with our sufferings. So Jesus has the ability to understand what we're going through. He demonstrates that through his humanity here on the cross, but also as you see throughout his ministries that Jesus demonstrated his humanity by showing love and kindness to his humanity. So I see here that uh, just in this little two-word phrase, I thirst, is that Jesus understands. He understands what we're going through. The next thing is that Jesus' knowledge of, for Scripture. There's a verse that's in uh, Psalms 69 that refers to what Jesus talks about in the thirst here. They also gave gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So this also is referred to as John as the fulfillment of gospel pointing back to Psalms 69. So Jesus' intrinsic knowledge of the Old Testament. We see Jesus' understanding of the gospel. We see um, how he planned and orchestrated everything coming up to the Passover so the crucifixion would be at the right time, at the right place. And we see God's hand in this as Jesus is fulfilling uh, these prophecies and these scriptures. Also what I see in this is that not only Jesus' knowledge of Scripture, but we also see Jesus' determination. His determination to fulfill what God has called him to. You know, the interesting thing is I looked at, the, on Wednesday night we looked at the life of Paul and talked about Paul, uh, or, and we talked about Peter. We didn't talk about Paul, we talked about Peter. And Peter is just one of those interesting Disciples, we sort of see him with a compulsive or impulsive personality is that he speaks before he thinks. And sometimes he speaks without thinking. And sometimes he just doesn't think. But we can identify with that, can't we? So sometimes we see Peter. And um, the interesting thing about Peter is that uh, through the arc of his life, we see that... Um, at the beginning, right before the seven last words of Jesus, we see Peter defending Christ with a sword. And then as he goes to the cross, we see Peter hiding behind a barrel. I see a fire in the barrel and stuff. We see him hiding from a little 12-year-old girl because she says, I know you were with him. I know you're one of the disciples. So with fervent passion as Peter defends Christ, and at the end he, he crushes him. But we see in this life of Peter, we see that as he betrays Christ, we see after, the, after Jesus comes back to life, we see 
a, a narrative where Peter and Jesus come together and he's swimming to them in the, in the lake and Peter restores him. And the first thing he said to Peter is the last thing he said to, to Peter. He said, follow me. So follow me. So Peter had spent his whole ministry following after Christ. He wanted to go back to fishing. And Jesus found out where he was fishing. And when he came to him, he said, follow me. So Peter truly was a fisher of men. So I see here in Jesus' determination is that Jesus know that this is the cup that would not pass from him. Jesus understands is that he has to go to the cross. And he understands that there's no way for us to have fellowship with him except through the cross and through this uh, torturous way of the cross and crucifixion that we see. So we see Jesus' determination to feel what God has called him to. So he drank from the sponge, did little for his hydration. This small drink from this small drink from the sponge is to prepare him for what his next last words are. So Jesus wasn't necessarily trying to satisfy his quench, but who is getting prepared for what we hear next. And John's going to tell you about what here's next in the last seven words. So what can we learn from this sermon today? If there's ever any doubt of whether Jesus loves you or not, this is your answer here. Because Jesus has taken on a penalty that belongs to you and me. We deserve to be one of the thieves on the left or the right. So he knows he loves us because he comes to this point as a perfect lamb of God to make a sacrifice for our sins, and he's the only one who can do it. If you were to crucify me and I were to die for my sins, it's not a pure sacrifice. It's tainted. It's diluted. God can't accept it. It's only through Jesus Christ that he can accept that sacrifice. So we know that Jesus cares. We also understand that the whole Bible is God's inspired word. And Jesus understands this, and he looks back to how he fulfills the word of God. We have these rituals and rites as we see with the first Passover, as we see in the tabernacle and finally into the temple. It's a bloody religion that requires sacrifice of animals, requires to, for the hyssop to be dipped into the bowl of blood, and that the blood to be sprinkled on the people to cover their sins. We don't see until Hebrews, we have this verse in Hebrews that says, there's no remission or no removal of sin without the shedding of blood. So the shedding of blood they're talking about is the blood of Jesus Christ. So we see that Jesus is a fulfillment of all of Scripture, and all the Scripture points back to Christ. So we need to ask ourselves, so we study the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, the Prophets, is that how do these Scriptures point back to Christ? Because He's the star of the movie. And we understand that Jesus has come here for a punctuated point in time to serve a specific purpose and that's to live a perfect life to die on the cross for our sins and to come back again to prove that he was a Christ to send into heaven so he can sit at the right hand of God and to prepare a place for you and I to go let's go to the Lord in prayer Father God we come to you today Father Oh, Father, so much we want to do something. We want to use our own effort. 
we want to give you something, just tell us what to do and we'll do it, Father. But we really come to you empty-handed, Father. And all we can do is cry out to you for your mercy, Father, to forgive us. For we're born into our trespasses and sin, Father. Our human nature turns us away from you and towards ourselves, Father. We pray as we reflect on your goodness as we see at the crucifixion here. As we look at your goodness and we look at your perfection and we look at your sacrifice, Father, we can rejoice, Father, because we know we're saved because of the work and redemptive work of Christ you've done for us, Father. And I pray as we realize that we will live a life of gratitude, Father. We'd live a life to serve you, Father, to give glory to you, Father, to seek out to serve our fellow man, Father, to rejoice that we know you, Father. I pray that we'll continue to know you and to make you known, Father, as we go out in the highways and byways, Father, as we go about just our normal business of day-to-day life, Father, that people will know that the life of Christ has changed us. That we can trust in you, Father. We can trust in you and we know that your word is good. We know that your word is reliable, Father. And even in the throes of hard times, Father, uh, when our lives don't make sense, when we're in the middle of chaos, Father, when there are things in our life we have no control over and we just have to bow down and say, Father, take control. I pray that we will seek you in all we say and do, Father. I pray that we'll be determined to lift your name up high, Father, so all to see, Father, not for our glory, but for your ultimate glory, Father, to bring glory and honor and praise to you. Amen.